0: Thank you so much for tuning back in to the Crude Audacity Podcast, the podcast that talks shop shit and strategy for oil, energy, and politics. Today, I am joined by Bob Lewis, who is running for Congressional District 4 out in the great state of Colorado, and we are seeing a trend across every primary right now. Incumbents beware, there is an unseating, a fight against the establishment, a rise up of the voters of the great GOP who have had enough with the establishment or the self-proclaimed elites of our party. So Bob, welcome to The Crude Audacity.
1: Hello, Catherine, (laughs) it's so so good to be with you today. Nice to see your smiling face once again.
0: Perfect, well, thank you so much for joining. You have a very unique stance on your platform currently. You are fighting the establishment, the current incumbent and you have chosen to sort of break the norm. You're you're picking something that is affecting everybody across the nation, but not every politician has jumped onto it. So today I really wanted to dig into agricultural independence and food independence. I know you also call it dietary independence um, to give constituents across the United States, because again, it is affecting our immediate backyard with baby formulas, conspiracy theories about chicken coops being burnt down, just you name it. So Bob, before we jump into all of that, give us a little bit of background about you. Why did you decide to jump into the race? What motivated you for politics? And what is your background that's led you to this point?
1: Well, thank you very much for the question and for uh, highlighting what is some pretty important issues. Um, I came into this uh, because our current uh, congressman is really not representing the district he's uh, he's real happy with uh, the establishment back in Washington we don't see a lot of him our district is a large rural district it uh, includes a lot of w- rural areas and a couple of uh, metropolitan areas as well but 725 730,000 people in spite of that, we've almost we've probably got as many livestock in this in this district as we do people, and uh, the people are great, and the, and the livestock are are great as well. Um, our our incumbent is. Let me put it this way: our motto is "Ride for the Brand," which to me means that I'm going to represent the district and its interests and its concerns first before I have any consideration for. Uh, the national politics issues and any concern whatsoever for what the establishment wants their congressman to do in the GOP. I represent the district. It's a duty, if you will, to the district itself. Um, this food independence issue is a consequence of a number of really ridiculous decisions that governments around the world have made uh, leading up to today, not the least of which. Uh, our our covid response over the last 20 months or so um, this have created artificial shortages that didn't exist prior to that and it's a huge concern to me because we're we're major producers in this district and obviously we've got a couple of metropolitan areas as well where we have you know, quite a few people living um, food shortages are going to be extremely real it's been on the horizon folks folks in my community have been talking about this for 12 months to to 18 months already. So this isn't, I didn't invent it. I'm not terribly prescient. It's just something that is, has been up on radar and it's been a a slow train wreck rolling forward. Um, It's brought about- So how
0: did outside of supply shortages, and most would argue that the supply shortages are really a manufactured event of California's policies, not other ports of entry. So yes, we have a supply chain issue, but how did that affect agriculture uh, shortages, food shortages?
1: Okay, across the nation. First of all, we have diesel fuel prices have gone from uh, more than doubled, and they're expected to probably go up another 50 or 70 percent, depending on the economists you talk to. That's a direct result of the Biden administration's limiting investment in both exploration and uh, transportation uh, within the the continent of North America. In addition to that, let's mix in a a, a near world war in central Europe where one of the world's biggest oil providers, Russia has been cut off uh, as a provider for oil worldwide. That con- that circumstance in Russia, Russia provides manufacturers something on the order of thirty percent of our fertilizers worldwide. It's a very inexpensive commodity that we ship uh, by the container ship. Um, you know, they leave every 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 other week or so from from Russia up until now. So right now, our cost of fertilizer has gone up maybe in some markets five times. So we have a, a you know. A, Agriculture is a is a energy intensive uh, process, energy intensive industry, and then we we take out uh, fertilizer, and all of a sudden the costs are are doubling pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ukraine and so the Russia cost are, of
0: production is doubling. Cost, direct
1: cost of production. In other words, mm-hmm. if nothing else had if nothing else had happened, that's enough to more than double costs. Then you, you then you remove from the marketplace the wheat. That's produced with using Western processes in Russia and Ukraine. Ukraine is the breadbasket of Europe and uh, Middle East. So, if we remove those two markets, those pro- two production sources, we have a serious problem. It's a, it's a not just one problem. It's a it's a number of problems. You know, you, we could have a blight in uh, in ukraine and it wouldn't have affected the world market this way
0: this way well i would also argue that this has been going on well before covid through government intervention you know the worst phrase is i'm from the government and i'm here to help and it couldn't be more true but i come from a family of farmers and it seems that more and more they're being told what to farm, how to farm it, when to farm it, instead of just doing what they do best, which is till and manage the land. And you're seeing a lot of these owners being forced onto some sort of subsidy, and let's call it what it is. It's a welfare program that's being doled out through previous government interventions. So has this been really a, a result of COVID or has it been a long time coming?
1: So this is yet another factor that we factor in. I talked about world economic conditions uh, to set this up. And now our federal government does in fact not want us to necessarily farm the way we have traditionally. Uh, they, the federal government, I believe, would very much like to regulate markets, uh, tell, tell people how much wheat they, they should produce, how many vegetables they should produce. And the protein issue is, is particularly pernicious in my district because uh, like, like I said we're one of the larger beef producers in the nation in this this part of Colorado and there's there's an attack on the market uh, just for that uh, just because they don't want us eating beef so
0: so is um, it agriculture control or is it population control
1: I I think there's elements of both in some of these people. Can you, you know, none dare call it conspiracy, but there's folks that, yeah, would absolutely rather not see as many of us out there. Um, The the economic consequences of those kinds of decisions uh, are probably beyond the breadth of this this conversation, but um, it's entirely possible China will not exist in 10 years simply because the ripple effect of their single child policy. But that's probably beyond the scope of this conversation. Um, In in my district, I've had farmers and ranchers talk specifically about how the federal government has attempted to interfere in in their family businesses. These are folks that are probably doing $10 million a year in commodity sales, uh, protein and winter wheat and uh, corn and other, other products right here in the northeastern corner of Colorado. The federal government's telling them to stop using their pivots to water and and their ditches to water their fields. And this is because the federal government believes there's not enough water uh, in the Republican River Basin, in this particular case, to water downstream. So the farmers, uh, in, in deference to their brothers and sisters in other states, have agreed to stop using their pivots because we're in a bit of a drought out here in the West. And the federal government came in and said, we don't even want you growing winter wheat. Now that's a crop we can plant and whatever moisture falls, it can still, it's a very hardy, uh, dry climate crop. And it can, even if it only grows six to eight inches tall, we can still get a decent yield off of our fields out here in Colorado. And yet the federal government wants wants these farmers not to, they want to till the the crop under and just let it go fallow and put them on what's called CRP, the Conservation Reserve Program. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's a substance. That's uh, uh, yeah. I hate to use the term welfare because I'm an agriculturalist, but uh, it's a subsistence program. So here we are. What I've kind of tried to set up for your listeners and viewers is we have a worldwide crisis of food today, um, created by some things within our government and some things that just happen in the world, and um, that's going to make food a food crisis down the road, but this time next year, it's going to be probably a lot worse than it is today. And we need to reverse these policies. Federal government needs to get out of farmers and ranchers ways, let them produce as much crops as they can. Well, it ties back to
0: oil and energy. We aren't allowed to produce as much on our soil. We were relying on Russian, Russian imports and, or to a certain extent we were, And now we're seeing that prices have gone up. Now we can't farm and it is a ripple effect. But I would like to circle back to your position on, or at least your insights, maybe not yet your position on what's actually happening in the protein industry, because it is one of the, you know, sub industries of agriculture and farming. And it's no secret that the meat in event happened Uh, you know, across the United States. It's actually uh, something about the, I don't think it's the Sierra Club, but it is some sort of vegan organization that's been trying to get it as a federal holiday for quite a while now. And multiple governors are picking it up. You and I saw it through uh, Polis most recently, but what would be the benefit of slowing down or infringing upon the protein industry and agriculture, what is the underlying goal there?
1: So there's a, there's a number of elements to unpack there. there. there's a lot of people that would like to offshore lower the um, lower the distribution cost for protein for beef, pork, and chicken, and they you know recently many of the large distribution companies are bringing in uh protein from out of the country. So they'll bring it up from Brazil, they'll slaughter it in Texas and call it uh, US beef. They'll feed it and slaughter it in Texas before they call it US beef. Um, so we we're seeing a, a lot of that. So there's an attempt to, to internationalize um, that protein market. And I mean they're sending whole frozen hogs to China where they're being processed and returned by ship to the United States. And I think we just need to get away from this this whole thought process. I, you know, from a thirty thousand foot view, I believe we need to get a lot closer to farm to table, rather than using large mega um, uh, distribution and processing centers. Federal regulation kind of drives us towards large answers for you know meat packing houses. There's something on the order of five meat packing companies for the whole country. And that's not good because, as we saw during uh, during the COVID crisis, um, South Dakota, one of the major companies for protein processors, had an outbreak, shut the plant down, and we lost about 20% of our national capacity to process meat in the country. And we're seeing it again in baby formula. I know you wanted to talk about that a little later. We need to get away from this mega corporation. Uh, just a handful of companies doing providing these services and get a little closer to farm to table. The cost- Well, it's never... kind
0: of interesting because is this a, a Democrat driven, a liberal driven initiative or is it a old school establishment GOP driven initiative? Because I've seen both sides of the aisle vote in precarious ways on both of these issues from water rights, energy, Agricultural management. Uh, I can assure you that nobody in Congress has ever been to a cornfield in their life. And if they have, they'll probably pull an AOC and claim smoke when it's steam. So it just seems like a lot of people are making a decision on subjects they have no business making decisions on. So, who's,
1: yeah, but like who's driving? Many times. And I can, you know, it's what's amazing is in the summertime after a good rain you can hear it growing. It, it creaks as it grows. So it's pretty amazing it does. stuff. Um, you know, That's why
0: it's haunted. We're,
1: we're, we're blessed with uh, with abundance here in the United States if we manage it properly. This cuts across uh, both parties and it the, the solution needs to be uh, deregulation, driving the, and this is true in a lot of things right now, uh, we need to deregulate and push decisions away from centralized companies and centralized government agencies back towards local markets. We have enough protein in Colorado to feed Colorado, and we should have we should benefit from uh, lower costs here because w- there's so much abundance. Yet uh, we share the same problems that everybody else does in the country when we go to the store and, and buy protein. So um, I'd, li- I'd like to see deregulation that allows for more entry into the marketplace. Uh, Butcher shops that can, and technology is going to help with that as we, as we have lower cost automation, smaller mom and pop shops can compete with a grocery store. And we need to allow that to happen. Federal regulation is part of it. And then state and local regulation will be part of the answer as well. As a, as a Congressman, I would look for those types of solutions to where communities and, and, and the states will be able to produce for themselves, um, farm to table, the farmers locally will benefit and the uh, the consumers will benefit with a better quality. So let's
0: move on to the most recent conspiracy theory, that being the baby food uh, formula or baby formula shortage. You know, it's interesting because it seemed for the longest time that it was only the United States that had this particular problem and everyone's pointing back to COVID or to the Abbott Laboratories uh, that were claiming there's no issue with their powder formula and then they're getting shut down. You're also seeing regularly on Facebook the burning down, quote unquote, of these food processing such as chicken farms, beef and cattle, feedlots, things along those lines. Some of it might be accurate. Most of it isn't. So What are you seeing? Because this, I mean, this is a corner, this is one of your cornerstones of your platform. So what are you seeing with this baby food formula shortage? And what are you seeing with this growing conspiracy that it is the Biden administration who is intentionally, I say population control, but increasing this food shortage when, to your point, Colorado could feed the beef uh, or could send beef across the country, and I'm down in Mississippi, the farmers down here could take care of North America for generations. So what's happening with our food processing?
1: So a couple of questions there. First of all, uh, let's address the fires. Um, I don't have a take on that. As you, as you look at the Wall Street Journal's reporting on it and AP and others, um there's nothing to see here it's
0: well there's it, never anything to see yeah. with the wall street uh, journal they're notorious 30... they're still not talking about hunter's laptop so i would say they're not yeah. a source
1: so there's over 30,000 of these facilities nationwide um would 26 of them or or 30 of them be expected to have an industrial accident that would shut the plant down on an, on any given 12 month period i think that's it seems to be a stretch but one of the other issues you overlap with it is our our and this is just my take. i've I've done uh, custom manufacturing in my background. i I worked for a company and, and we did uh, worldwide product rollout for Apple computers. We did custom. so i I have some background in in the process uh, business and, I think if you have a labor shortage and you all of a sudden you mix into that labor shortage uh, and a complex manufacturing facility that is probably understaffed and a lot of the staff don't have the experience level, there's there's an opportunity there in that environment to have more industrial accidents uh, on any given day than what we might have seen two or three years ago. Uh, OSHA loves it. Pardon me? OSHA loves it. <laughs> yeah, OSHA, don't get me going on, OSHA. Yeah, you know, I, I go off on that. I mean, OSHA has tried to shut down chimney sweeps of the nation because you can't have people up on the roof. And it's like, you know, without a crane holding them up, it's this is the dumbest thing in the world. Don't bring OSHA <laughs> Well, keep never, going on the conspiracy theory here. <laughs> all right. Um, so to me, it's a bit of a stretch that there's somebody out there attacking plants um however if there was this would be what it would look like all right the uh the baby formula issue all we're getting is what we're what's being reported what's being reported is uh, there was a uh, a whistleblower that said abbott labs and again this is a mega plant that makes a large percentage of the Mm world supply of a baby formula something on the order of uh, a lot of custom manufactured baby formulas and then maybe the four four of the four or five of the major brands and this plant had some problem with, uh, with some bacteria uh, may or may not have resulted in in children uh, dying or being sick. and so they have
0: actually come out formally and said that they have received no complaints just the whistleblower. so it's right. what side?
1: Yeah so I I, I have no idea there and i'm not in the center of it that i could do an investigation or write a letter to somebody and ask them but um we have one plant that has a large percentage of the world supply of baby formula Mm -hmm. and when that plant goes down for any reason whether it's a power powers out regionally you know you have a hurricane you have an earthquake you have a some event and you lose 20 percent of your capacity the other thing we're we're in in this modern world is just-in-time delivery. So uh, these distributors, retail distributors, don't stock more than a few days' worth of supplies on hand. And so if a plant goes down, whatever's in the warehouse and whatever's in the trucks is all that's going to be delivered until that plant gets back up. You mix in government regulators who uh, react, as we know, like molasses in January. This is a recipe for disaster. so uh, and then let's add one more element to it. The United States generally was protecting the local markets by not allowing European providers into the u s. market. So there are companies in in Europe and other parts of the world, even, where uh, they're producing a very similar product. Quality's probably as good as ours. And yet until very recently, they're not allowed to uh, import into the United States to backfill. Isn't that interesting?
0: We want to import energy. We want to import protein, but we're not importing something that affects well over half. Absolutely. Everybody across the United States, if a child in their family is not getting the sustenance that they need, that is definitely in your backyard, political decisions that are affecting you. But in this particular case, we won't open up our markets to, External sources of food and nutrition for infants or children that have extreme dietary needs, but we'll sit there and import, you know, war criminal oil or send a Correct. frozen pig to China Correct. to get slaughtered. Well, it's already Correct. dead. I mean, just to get butchered, not even slaughtered, and have it shipped back. So,
1: yes, this, how, this is utterly how did irrational. we get there? Stovepipe government. So, uh, the, you know, a stovepipe is a vertical, you know, vertical shaft, and the, and the heat goes up it, and there's no interaction between these different chains and these different decision, uh, these dis- decision processes in the marketplace. If we allow, uh, Abbott Labs has been allowed allowed to import baby formula from Ireland, from a plant in Ireland, because it's fairly homogeneous to the products that were being developed here. And Abbott Labs has a distribution system, but if it was uh, Catherine's uh, Catherine's uh, baby formula company in France, you don't have you don't no have go. distribution set up, so you have nobody to ship your product to to get it onto store shelves. It's still going to take eight or ten weeks under the best of circumstances for you to find somebody to uh, take your product. So,
0: and with a consumer not- convenience-driven culture you know amazon prime has ruined several generations that you order something online this isn't ordering through the sears catalog this is literally the prime truck. the prime man shows up he's your favorite person you say hey and you've got it on your front doorstep in two days and that convenience that consumer convenience is no longer there
1: yeah we buy you know in our household when when we don't have elk and venison in the freezer we will buy meat from a local Uh, from Elizabeth Meat Locker, which is not too far from me, on any given day, it might cost a little more, but it's a much more reliable and a higher quality uh, source for my family, rather than buying it from Safeway. So that's why I say we I'd like to see closer to farm to table, I would like to see the opening of of markets domestically, for sure. And, you know, you got to look at whether or not We also have uh, opportunities to to import products when there are shortages. So in this this election
0: cycle, we're in midterms right now. And I am very firm on my belief that this is unlike any other midterm that the United States has seen. It is going to be the future of the United States is going to be decided not by the regularly voting 12% of each party, but by young Republicans, young independents, those who are looking around and saying, this isn't working. So, you know, hate hate the man, not the movement, but ever since Trump, we have been working very hard to drain the swamp. And that was really the heart of the message. It wasn't necessarily that everybody agreed with or loved Trump. And I know there are some diehard fans out there, but he's no longer in office. He's playing golf in Florida and God bless him. But draining the swamp is something we're seeing across these primaries. I mean, unseating the incumbent, we're seeing more independent voters get out for primaries, which is sort of unprecedented. And we're seeing individuals come in and say, you know what, this isn't working. You are not establishing policies that make logical sense. Why? So what do you see? I mean, how do we fix all of this? Is is it really draining the swamp?
1: Yeah, that's going to be a huge part. Deregulating is going to be a a huge part of it. Uh, Trump was allowed, Trump used um, executive order to to get rid of a lot of regulations. The problem with using executive orders to deregulate is that as soon as there's another president in there, they use executive orders to re-regulate. And in fact, Biden simply said, tit for tat, I'm going to Counter all of the deregulation that you used executive orders on. He's still order. using
0: it, or yeah. at least and not him. He's signing it. Someone else right. is writing
1: it. <laughs> so, uh, what we need is a Congress that's willing to do their job, that's willing to stand up and and give a voice to deregulation. I, I find that this election cycle is very similar to, probably 1994 when the Newt Gingrich uh, crowd took over Congress, and rolled back. You know, I mean, Bill Clinton announced that the uh, the age of uh, the age of uh, maybe that was ninety two, the age of big government is gone. Bill Clinton got on television and so said, "That's it." You know, Congress came in and uh, and deregulated a whole lot of things, dropped taxes down, and the economy flourished for a couple decades after that. Now we're back right where we were. Um, we need to stop printing digital money. We need to. Deregulate the markets, allow free markets to function, um, allow people to make their own choices for whether it's baby formula or their dietary decisions. If if I want to eat bread and and well, in Elbert County there are three food groups: it's a rare, medium, and well done. So you know if I want eat, to eat meat, uh, by golly, that's that's my right. Let the markets work, and they will take care of that. We need to do the same thing to a great extent in energy. And layered on top of it is the fact that we have world conditions that have come up that make this even that much more important. So, your generation, the the younger folks, need to own this. My generation has screwed this up, and we need you to jump in and participate. And it begins at the local level. Uh, And and national politics is, is important, but local politics affects you very quickly. School board elections. Well, metro all districts.
0: politics is local yeah. if you think about it.
1: School board elections are, are huge. If conservative That's how boards are running the school districts, it doesn't matter what the federal government says. They can tell them the stuff. It. And they and I've seen that here locally. Um, metro districts, you know, your water districts, uh, planning commissions, all library boards. All of these are extremely important. Rec districts, all of these are extremely important. And, and we need to own these, put conservative libertarian folks on those boards and, and control it. And then as we move forward, state legislatures need to, we need to cowboy up. They need to stop the you know, stand up to the federal government and not the almighty dollar the government wants to give them and tell the federal government to get the heck out of their citizens' lives. You see that uh, with DeSantis in Florida and uh, Abbott down in Texas. So, um, you know, this is where this problem is going to be solved. It's it. I can do my part as 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 uh, one member of Congress in the fourth congressional district in Colorado, but everybody has to be on this team. It took a long time and a lot of people to screw this up, and we need to get it. We need to get back on track.
0: So Bob, thank you so much for today's discussion. It was very insightful to hear about your stance on agricultural independence and dietary independence and why those are becoming more and more of an everyday issue. Hence the economy, education, energy independence. And now we're looking at where our food comes from and reinstating what it truly means to be farm to table. So Bob, before I let you go today, how can people find you? How can they learn more about you? How can they get in contact with you?
1: So Bob Lewis for CD4.com is a website. I'm in a really tight race right now against an entrenched establishment incumbent. You've got to, uh, myself and a lot of other people have got to come in, replace these establishment candidates and um, both parties and start getting positive solutions. So Bob Lewis for CD4.com, you can leave a message for me. Uh, you can also donate, because uh, politics, are, regrettably, I need Expensive. money to, to fund, <laughs> fund the campaign, and we're coming down to the last couple of weeks in Colorado. So your primary is? It's 28th of June. It'll be over. All right,
0: it's coming up. So, independents, young now, Republicans. Republicans. Let's drain the swamp. Bob, thank you so much. As always, ladies and gentlemen, check below in the show notes. I will have Bob's links. You can find him on Facebook. Again, www.BobLewis4CD4.com. This is a subject that affects us across the entire nation. So start being diligent, start paying attention, and start understanding why we are shipping frozen pigs to China just to have them chopped up and sent right back. Bob, thank you so much, and we will be in touch soon.